Welcome everybody to a new episode of Novel Black Girl. It's your girl, Vanessa Renee, and I am here today with three lit chicks. Go ahead and say hi to the people. Hey y'all, it's Alana, your tech girl that loves to read. What's going on people? It's your girl, Roslyn. I'm just out here loving, laughing, and living life. And I am excited because we have our very first guest today. We have the author of the book we read. I'm so excited for this. So we read We Are Bridges. Hopefully you have the opportunity to check out that book. If you have not bought it yet, I highly encourage you to do so. But it was written by the lovely Cassandra Lane. Say hello to our lit chicks out there. Hi, everyone. Hi, Novel Black Girl. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yes, welcome. So we just wanted to start by, we like to give our readers just at least a synopsis of the book that we've read for our listeners who haven't listened to the book. So could you just give us like a brief summary of your memoir? Absolutely. So it's called We Are Bridges, a memoir, and it weaves together my uh, contemporary story of becoming a mother and the story of my great uh, grandparents, my ancestors, whose love was just destroyed by uh, domestic terrorism, a lynching, uh, the lynching of my great-grandfather in 1904. Um, it's my attempt to understand how that tragedy impacted the generations that followed um, and to provide a, a better story and hope for my son. Yes, I love that. It was such a powerful book, at least for me personally. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear more about like what made you write this book and why now? Yeah, so the book has been a journey of about 20 years, actually, even before. Because at one point, I did not plan on becoming a mother. I thought, let me just let my creative work be my babies. I'll support other people. I'll be that auntie. <laughs> I'm the oldest of five. So, I, you know, I'm used to being around children, helping raise children. Um, so the book for me started more as a self, an investigation into self. Um I was doing therapy. This was in my like early 29, 30. I was in therapy. I was doing a lot of self-examination, a lot of self-work um, around romance and marriage and divorce and race. Um, and so I wanted to connect. I had left Louisiana. I'm from Louisiana. I had left Louisiana to live in Los Angeles and didn't have any blood family out here. And I think the book for me was... Um, you know, a, a, a chance to kind of understand my past. Um, I was in the MFA program at Antioch University, and that's, I wrote the first chapter about Bert Bridges. I was just obsessed about what had happened to him. Uh, my mother, my family didn't have a whole lot of information about the details, but it's just, I just couldn't accept that something had happened to someone in my bloodline. And I wanted to understand that story. So it really was first about, you know, trying to research and find out what happened to him. Um, years later, when I did, when I was pregnant, it became, it took on a bigger meaning. And I started looking at the women in the family and how they were survivors, especially my great grandmother who lived for many decades after the lynching, but never got over her first love. She was still talking about him on her deathbed in her nineties. So I love that. I mean, what'd you say, Alana? That's so beautiful. I know, right? I feel like I'm in that space that you yeah. described in your 30s. Like, I, I we just turned 31, uh, trying to figure out life. Right. Um, it's such a beautiful decade. Yeah, it's a yeah, beautiful decade. Yeah, it's like this bridge to me between, like, youth, youth, and, you know, maturity, middle age, and it's such a precious, I've definitely made decisions that I'm, that I'm not happy about and that derailed me, but you know, oh, that's yeah. part of life. But I just think the thirties are so special and so precious and you guys enjoy it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to start. Let's hope Corona doesn't steal another year. Corona stole my whole first year in thirties. So. Uh, no, yeah. Know. We're going to try it. Yeah. <laughs> try yeah. it on. For sure. I think we are all in that similar place because none of us have children yet. We're yeah. not married yet. Yeah. None of those things. I think we're all in therapy too. Like, <laughs> yes. <absolutely. Therapy. laughs> I started my son like with our son much earlier. He's, 14 now and he's been in since he was 12 and he looks oh good yeah, he looks forward to those sessions at first he was resistant he was like what are you guys 
saying that there's nothing wrong with me. And I said, it's not about that. Your therapist is a partner that comes alongside you to help you like hear what you're thinking and feeling. And he really gets it. And I'm so glad, especially as a young black male, that whatever, you know, ideas he had about therapy are now just gone at such a young age. Yeah. yeah, I love that you're normalizing that for him at such a young age. Um, I'm an educator and working with young Black boys, it is not always their comfort zone to Absolutely. express themselves, right? Like they just shut down mm-hmm. um, and react physically sometimes. And so I think that's powerful. That's a powerful tool you've given him uh, that could literally save his life. Absolutely. So, kudos to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I always say there's power in a name. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about the title of your book and what that name, um, We Are Bridges, means for you. Mm -hmm. So the title actually has been changed so many times. But I knew that this was the title after one of my, I think, Instagram posts a couple of years ago where I was just talking about this love that Bert and Be- that Bert and Mary had, even though she went on to marry shortly after the lynching, a um, a distant cousin, and that's who helped her raise my grandfather, who was her and Bert's son. Um, so I, but he wasn't good to her. He wasn't good to my grandfather. And I remember hearing my grandfather cry about how he never got a chance to meet his real father. And so all we really had, because great grandma Mary didn't really want to talk about the pain that had happened so long ago, even though it still haunted her. She saw ghosts. She talked to ghosts. She shooed away ghosts. Um, So really when it boiled down to it, all we had was his name, Bert Bridges. Um, The fact that he was beautiful, as she said, he was proud. He was strong. And the white people didn't like that. They called him Sadiddy. So I clung to that name, those two words, Bert and Bridges. And I was talking about it in this Instagram post. A lot of my cousins didn't know about this story. I think my my siblings and I had a little bit more information because we lived in the same home with our grandparents and with great grandma Mary. Um, and so one of my cousins said, I didn't know this story. I want to know more. And she ended her post with hashtag I am Bridges. All along, I've been thinking that I'm a Buckley because that was the last name of the man that Mary married. Um, but our bloodline is actually Bridges. And I said, wow, that's it. You're right. And then I put hashtag we are Bridges. And that became the title mm-hmm. that stuck and that the editors loved. Um, and so, yeah, it's yeah. twofold. It's it's claiming you know, Burt Bridges as a person, as a name, um, as our family member, as our ancestor, but it's also taking ownership of the metaphor of bridges, you Mm -hmm. know, what bridges means in terms of connecting things, even if something, even if there are all these gaps, because in so many African-American families, we don't know, you know, who our ancestors were, their stories. Um, So it's the bridge between, you know, current generations, past generations, between my son and myself and the, the ancestors that he'll never have the privy to meet, um, the past and the present, uh, the, the reader and the writer. So it's it's got all those layers, I think. I love that. <laughs> I think, go ahead, Alana. No, I was going to say, as a reader, I felt like I obviously understood the bridges as his last name, but it almost felt like I am the bridge to you, the author, because I could resonate with so much of your experience. Um, So like I think about my last name and being from Caribbean descent and my dad was an immigrant. So I have Wilson, although that's the wrong one. Right. So it was supposed to be Bonnaby. And then we find that out later in life. So going to my grandfather's funeral, there was literally a moment where everybody's a Bonnaby. And there's like, oh, there's three Wilsons left in this lineage. That's- Me, my brother, and my cousin Wilson. It's like, what? Wow. And you're <laughs> living your life. Right. You live your whole life with these beliefs. Yeah. But they're not. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. So you talk about like that family reunion where people are coming in, coming in signing in with that other last name. And you're like, we're Bridges. Um, <laughs> and so I've definitely been on the other end of like, I'm the Wilson. And they're like, no, you're not. You're Bonnaby. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know people looking at me like I was strange, like I'm disrupting something. That's hard to hear after you've Mm -hmm. lived all these years that this may not be the truth. 
Um, and here comes this person with this truth disrupting the norm. So the narrative. <laughs> um, so I actually have a question for you all, ladies. If you were to write your memoir, what would the title of your name book, what title of your book be? Um, sorry. That's a tough question, Renee. <laughs> I mean, she went through many iterations of titles, so you don't have to commit, but right. top of your mind right now. <laughs> that is very true. Um, I would have to think about it because I'm very much so like names are important to me as well. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. And so I, I'd sit and sit with a name and think about it and pray over it, ponder over it and things like that. So I would... I don't know. <laughs> Ross. I'm sorry, what'd you say? Are, are all of you writers? No, I no. am not a writer at all. Not even a little bit. <laughs> readers, so I like, like even more important. I am a reader. <laughs> I used to like to write when I was younger, but I don't I wouldn't call myself a writer in that yeah. sense at all. No. Not by yeah. trade, not by you know. <laughs> But you know what? I encourage everyone to just, even if you're not publishing, just get the stories mm -hmm. down in your journals, recording your vibe. Because one day we're going to be ancestors and somebody's right. going to wonder about us. And so That's collecting true. photos, you know, all our photos now are in our phones, but every now and then going and printing some photos, keeping a journal, keeping journals. I had years and years of journals. Um, and I don't think, yeah, you, not everything is for the public necessarily, but think about how hungry our, you know, progeny will be for information, especially the times that we're living in. So I just encourage that at least. Thank you for that. <laughs> Raj, you have a book title? So actually when she posed that question of, a assignment from way back in high school came to mind. We had to write, pretend we were an editor for a magazine. And so that title popped into my head and I titled that magazine, My Prerogative. So um, I probably would stick to something like that and then sit on it and if it needed more development, but that's the first thing that popped into my mind would be My Prerogative. Something, something along those I lines. I love that. What does that mean? Yeah. And when, in terms of your life, what does that mean for you? Uh, for me, it's just I always say it's an it's not a new thing, but I heard it somewhere. So it's really been a model for me is that I'm a perfect imperfection. So for me, that is just living my life to the best of my ability, trying not to be so hard on myself, align myself grace and just living life to, to its fullest. As you can see, my introduction is I'm just out here living, loving, living, laughing, loving, and living life. So I really try to embrace that in it, all and everything that I do. And I can be rigid. So I'm just trying to, in my 30s, I'm trying to relax more and let life come as it is. So. Oh my gosh. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, you've yeah, all been so. through your Saturn return <laughs> and all those lessons, <laughs> you know? Um, yes, and it's. I think it's just so good to be able to see what your life and how you've been living and existing in the world, what that's been, and a, a, the grace part is so crucial. Even though you might want to improve some things, I just think that's. I love that you're already having that grace for yourself. Yeah, it's been a like you said, it's been a journey because I mean, the twenties you. Like your college, you still have a little bit of structure transition from college into real life. And then you get into adulthood, you're like, oh, I don't want to be here. These bills. Right. <laughs> I want to go back. Exactly. Not ask for this. <laughs> right. It's that fake adulthood that once we get out of exactly. college, it's not real life yet. <laughs> and then, like you said, it's like this: the 30s are your maturity into more. It's like you're embracing yourself. It's like, okay, I'm free to be who I want. I don't care about the judgment, what people yep. say. And it's a new place. Like, you have to get familiar with because before you were, yes, you were living for yourself, but you might have been modifying yourself just to fit in here and there and, how, and just to get by. So now it's like, eh, you can stay over there if you don't want to be where I'm at. Oh, well. Like, right. This is who I am. Now yeah. we're coming into it. 
Mm-hmm. I love it. And I love that green couch. I love green. This <laughs> is my favorite color too. <laughs> um, actually, the title of my book would be one of my favorite colors. So I would, my title, I've always said my title would be favorite color leopard. Oh. I feel like I am the type to stand out yeah. in a room for good, bad, different. I don't know. We're still figuring that out in my 30s. But I am the type when someone says your favorite color and everybody's going yellow and pink and tilt. I'm like kind of leopard, a little bit of green, sometimes yellow. I'm that girl. I love that. I, love that. <laughs> I think that's a good representation of my life thus far. Mm. Favorite color leopard. Mm-hmm. And there, therefore, novel black girl takes on like that other meaning of being just your own unique self. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm the only one who didn't come up with something. I'll think about. You gotta commit. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta start from somewhere. <laughs> With no editing, no editing. It's no. Your book would be untitled. <laughs> it might. It really might be. <laughs> yeah, think of the Fine. themes. Th- think of the themes that have dominated your life, you know, thus far. Um, and your life, of course, is not separated from your separate from your family life. Um, so those we all have some of those, do- you know, those dominating, recurring themes. Um, and I think that can give you some clues too. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. You let us know when you write it. <laughs> awesome. Um, so you've kind of become like a griot of sorts for your family. Um, and we kind of started talking about how as black people in particular, we struggle sometimes to have access to our history and to our full stories. Um, and so now that you've written this memoir, how do you show up now to make sure that the rest of your family's history and story doesn't die with you? Like, how do you intend to make sure your family's story doesn't stop with just your book? Oh, great question. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm keeping trying to make sure that I keep enough copies of the book that aren't being sold. And so we have you know, that we have at least a few in the collection to be hopefully passed on. Um, but I'm continuing the research. I had hired a researcher late 2018, 20, early 2019, who believes she found the same Burt Bridges, um, who was my great-grandfather, on a 1900 uh, U.S. Census report. And so I have, you know, that is very hard to read. Um, but I can see the name of, you know, his parents and siblings. Um, I had written some of that story into this particular book, but at the end of the day, with all of the editing, we decided to just end it where we ended it and and not project that far into the future. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't, I'll keep working on that. I don't know if it'll be essays, loose essays, another book. Um, but I'll keep like, just making sure that I'm putting down the research. There are no birth and death certificates, but at least I have this census report. I've done DNA testing, um, continuing to tell my son about the research that I'm doing, continuing to journal about it. Um, I really want to look at my grandmother's side of the family, which was, they were in another part of Louisiana, Northern Louisiana. And my mom says, you know, that was a rich history so I'll just continue asking questions and reading newspaper articles and around, you know, stories that existed around the time that these ancestors existed and piecing together whatever stories I can find. Uh, again, even if they're not published, I'll make sure that I have journals and records. Um, my mother has the deeds to the house where I grew up, the same house that she was born in. Um, and those okay. deeds tell so many stories. My grandparents almost lost that house several times over what to us small amounts, you know, $100 here, $200 there. Um, and it just tells so much about that larger, you know, telling these personal stories tells so much about the what was going on in history. So you see that they had this house, you know, during the Great Depression, um, and it gives so many 
you know, when I'm looking at the deeds and how much they were struggling, it gives so much um, more meaning to how my grandmother would keep every little scrap of paper, every little scrap of used foil, um, because she had been through so much struggle and had been through the Great Depression. And that's, I was telling that story to someone else of a different ethnic background, and they like yelled and said their grandmother did the same thing. And so we're able to unite those stories when we know them, record them, and then share them. And the world is really, really small. And our experiences uh, are unique, but they're also very relatable. I've been uh, sitting and visiting with my grandmother more since I've started to read and finish her book. Yeah. Just to hear some of the things that she says, I felt really like compelled to learn more about my family after reading because I was like, I don't know about my great grandparents or their parents Mm -hmm. on either side of my family. Like, not enough to really write it down and understand it and know all of the. Line. So I just wanted to say that I appreciate that you have become Miss Griot and it's causing me to explore more as well. So oh, that means so much. I'm so glad. And if, you know, ask her if she doesn't mind you turning on the recorder. Um, so we Good can idea. hear. I wish so much. And I talk about that in the book that I had. I can remember their voices, but, you know, I'm only going to be here for so many more years. Um, I wish that it was something that could be passed on to my son. And if he has kids or our other cousins yeah. and their kids, uh, because their, their voices were very unique. And um, the way they spoke adds so much to, to, the, to what they were saying. Uh, so I would love mm-hmm. to have had that opportunity. And I was a journalist, but I just, there were things, there are things that you take for granted being, you know, yeah. young, yeah. you just take things for granted. So I'm so yeah. glad you're talking to her more. They want it and they want to tell their stories. You know, everybody absolutely relevant and to have your, mm-hmm. you know, offspring interested in who you were. I think, I think it's a great honor. <laughs> yeah. I also told my mom, like, we need to sit down and you need to just, like, give me your side. (laughs) Right. I don't know anyone and a lot of my family is still in the Caribbean. And because I don't always go on the trips when they go back, I'm like, I don't don't know anyone over there. (laughs) Got to make family. Right. And you never know. I mean, think about, like, medical, um, you know, medical industry, Mm -hmm. too. I mean. If there are things that we carry in our bodies because we've inherited them, you know, whether a disease, whatever, right. um, the same thing is true when it comes to psychological wounds, when it comes to certain talents or the way you walk yeah. or talk, um, like all of that is well. Yes, we want to live in the present. Yes, we want to be focused on the future. But clearly, science, biology always meant for there to be a bridge, to be a connection, mm-hmm. or else we wouldn't inherit all of these other things. <laughs> um, yeah. So I wanted to look at the psychological part as well. Yeah, I wish I took advantage of that when my dad was alive too, because we have since tried to pull like his family records. His mm-hmm. brother has been working on that. There was like some big fire in Kingston, so we're like stuck at my great grandmother, and then there's no other records. Yeah, um, we're still trying to figure out how old my grandma is. She doesn't remember at this point, and people are like, "I'm pretty sure she's over 100." But wow, well, she's <laughs> no, yeah, That's amazing. So we just we're trying to figure it out, but there's literally like no records at this point. Oh so and that was the response we got: was everything was lost in the fire in yeah. Kingston. So. Yeah. And do you know what year the fire was? Um, I do. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I do. Yeah. Most fires, there's something else. Yeah. That's what I was told when I was reaching out to the state of Mississippi for records. You know, there was some courthouse fire in 1912 and anything Mm -hmm. before that was lost. Of course, my great grandfather was murdered in 1904. So if there ever were any records, they were supposedly lost in this fire. That, and that's the good thing about today is that, you know, we have our digital ways of um, keeping records. Uh, not that those can't be lost, but there's yeah. better security against that. So. <laughs> yeah. 
So I kind of want to make a transition with our questions. So we have discussed before, I don't know if you've ever read Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Yes, I have. Uh-huh. Have you read that book? That really helped me that year. I think I read awesome. it. Awesome. So you know. Yeah. I think I read it in 2017, 2018. And it, I needed to say yes to some things in my life to make some leaps. And it helped me so much. Yes, we love that book. I'm pretty sure we've read it twice together. <laughs> um, but she talks about like dealing with in those uncomfortable moments where she pushes herself to say yes, dealing with her nerves and that anxiety that comes with pushing yourself beyond. And so standing in Wonder Woman pose um, was her way of trying to cope with that in the moment. Um, and in your book, you share about like having tremors and anxiety, even as a child. Um, and that kind of continued into adulthood in certain moments for you. Have you figured out strategies that you use in those moments to overcome that? Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> my husband laughs about this because now since the book's been out, I'm having, you know, so many talks and he's like, you don't even sound nervous anymore. You're just like going in there. And so a lot of it has been practice. I think mm-hmm. it was after I read that book and also after I jumped, jumped out of a plane um, in 2017, where I said, <laughs> if I can do that, I can do this. You can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Zero blues. Right. <laughs> I was working for the Dodgers at the time and it was great, but you know, I knew it was taking up so much of my, it was just so much work. Um, and I needed to, to write and I didn't have much time to write. So I ne- knew that I needed to make a career change, have more time for writing. I might have to take a pay cut. Um, and I was, uh, I oversaw the military uh, programs and other programs, and the army invited me to do a tandem jump from a plane um, in the spring of 2017. And it was ne- that wasn't on my bucket list, but something just said <laughs> do it and um, use it as a metaphor for other things in your life that you're trying to move into. And that's mm. what I did. It was scary. It was cr- exhilarating. It was crazy. You said yes automatically. Said, you didn't have to like, think saying, about it. I, I paused. I remember he called me. I paused and I was like, you know what? Yes, I'll do it. <laughs> Would you do it again? No, I'm not interested. <laughs> I think I really, I do really think that I needed to do that to get over a hump um, in my other life. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was beautiful. It was so beautiful being up there where it's just still, I think we're about 12,000 feet. It was just so still and beautiful and uh, it seemed like it lasted forever, but of course you're only up there for a few minutes. <laughs> um, so that helped me. That helped me just kind of embrace. I remember how my body felt, you know, right as we were, once we had on our gear and then we're about to all these different stages. We went through our, um, you know, like our little meeting where they were, t- we had to sign papers about death and they were talking about the probability of death and so that was all of that was like oh my gosh so I went through all of these stages of I want to pull out of this uh, what am I doing what's the purpose I have a child at home <laughs> um, and then you know getting up there and experiencing something so beautiful and then coming down you know like all of that to me was metaphor um, I remember all of the tremors that I felt, all of the knots in my stomach. And it reminded me of how I feel when I have to stand in front of an audience to give a reading or a talk or be interviewed. Um, and I just came away from that saying, if I could do that, and I, I saw how I talked myself through, how I needed to drink enough water, uh, go to the bathroom, like everything that I did on a practical level to get me to get on that plane and then hook myself up to this guy, um, I can take that into my life, my literary life, public speaking life. Um, and I've been able to just, I think, laugh about it. I've talked about it with my husband, with friends, with my mom. Um, and now I just, you know, I just have the moment of quiet and peace. I do, I drink water. I make sure that I have something light to eat instead of something heavy to eat. I have some tea because tea is very mm-hmm. calming for me. Um, so those are just some little rituals. And then just, I think the more you do it, the more you practice, the more you prove to yourself, I'm not going to die. I'm fine. This is necessary. And I'm enjoying it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Alana and Roz, what do you all do to kind of overcome 
anxiety or anytime you're in a nerve wracking situation? Uh, I, I'm the same way. I kind of talk myself through it. Like what, what's the worst that can happen? Or I'll sit in that moment and just kind of breathe and relax myself. I'm always drinking water too. So, but yeah, I think for the most part, it's really just a way of talking myself through the negative things Mm -hmm. and dispelling the thoughts that I might be having that are trying to talk me out of whatever it is I know I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if for whatever reason, I'm supposed to jump out of a plane <laughs> and I know that's what I'm supposed to do. And I just have to have that faith and talk myself out of all of these situations that might come up to get me not to do it. Because I feel like if it's something that I need to go through um, to come to the other side of whatever it is that I'm facing, then I just calm my nerves, breathe through it, and go for it. Absolutely. <laughs> Good. Roz, what about you? Um, see, I try to plan things out and to avoid <laughs> anxiety. So knowing me, I would try to probably try to make a list of some sort. But if it's something where it just comes up, I'm usually will self isolate and just gather my thoughts and. Literally, like what Alana said, just go through the whole process in my head from beginning to end. Try to, okay, this is the worst that can happen. This is the best. I mean, I've, I've had those situations. So uh, just to share a little bit, like back in 2016, I donated a kidney. So, I mean, right there presented before me was being able to offer a gift to somebody. But at the same time, I could lose my life. Like being presented with a living will at 28. I'm like, okay, so this is really real. I'm like, I'm going into this trying to just live out a purpose that God has given to me and has allowed me to go through. But at the same time, it's like, well, this bad thing could come out of something good. So, I mean, just really with that situation was like going through the list, like, okay, this is the good, this is the bad, have everything in order, just have everything planned, talk to like spiritual leaders, talk to my uncle, talk to my mother. Like it was a, for me, it was really just talking to those around me who knew me best. And then also having time by myself to really analyze and go through everything. So I would say in situations like that, where I'm anxious, overwhelmed, it's really just being quiet and just trying to take it all in and process it as the best I can. Yeah, absolutely. Your prayer helps. (laughs) The prayer in those alone moments. And also taking it off you. Like if you can take for a moment, you know, the pressure off yourself and look at how it might benefit someone else. And like for Mm -hmm. in your case, this is is not only about me. Um, I think we can take that thought process into other situations too. Mm -hmm. What about you? (laughs) I am complete opposite of you all. I cannot get in my head. (laughs) Alana probably knows that about me. I verbally process and then I will surely talk myself out of anything that may cause me harm. So I've got to live in the moment. Um, My anxiety usually comes from overthinking. And so what I've learned to do is laugh at myself. Roz, I don't know if you know this. So Roz and I once took a trip to DR and I am afraid of heights. And we did the zip lining and we decided to get the pictures. And as we're going up, I never expressed to Roz that I was nervous as heck. I always love to do these things, but I'm, like, nervous on the way up, freaking out. And in my head, I kept saying, like, the worst that can happen is these pictures are trash. And we literally got the picture, is and every single one of my pictures was hot trash. I look a mess. My eyes are closed. And I have one blown up on my fridge. It's literally a reminder of, like, laugh at yourself and, like, life goes on. Like, in the moment, it feels like this is the biggest thing happening right now. And that's just a tiny moment in your life. And so that's what I've had to push myself to do is just, like, we'll make it through this. It can go real good or it can go real bad. Either way, you're good. Like, you'll be all right. Uh, And so I am the one that just has to, like, go for it and we'll figure it out. (laughs) I love it. 
They weren't that bad. It it really just signified that moment though. Like you see me smiling, posing. Jesus, you just see her like ah. Beautiful scenery because your eyes were closed the whole time. I missed it all. I'm really glad we got the pictures because I didn't get to see how beautiful it was. It was pretty high up too. And I mean, my eyes are closed in every picture and I am freaking out on the way through. I don't think that I realized that you were afraid of heights. <laughs> oh, definitely afraid of heights. I just like to tackle that fear. Like I, in my head, I'm like, you'll get over it one day if you keep going up. That's very brave. <laughs> but That's very, very brave. It hasn't helped yet, but <laughs> like on my bucket list is to jump out of a plane. I can't think about it in that moment. And I'm really going to have to tune them out when they're talking about the chances of death. I'm the type to be like, you can have the 300 bucks. I don't need it. I'm good. It's a blessing. (laughs) Exactly. I will talk myself out of it for sure. Hilarious. Yeah, I remember the soldier who invited me to do it. He was the PR officer. And, you know, he was just like, so positive and then we got there and I'm freaking out he's like you'll be fine I said wow have you ever have you done it I'm assuming that they all he's like no I never have <laughs> I was like what and see that's when I walk away like nope I'm good <laughs> that's a big thing too you really had to put your trust in this person you're strapped to right like, oh yeah that too. yeah absolutely that's absolutely yeah that I didn't know yeah yeah, yeah. And see, I'm not going to even ask those questions because I don't want to know the answer. We can have that conversation afterwards, but in the moment, I just need to hurry up. Let me sign the paper. <laughs> Let's do it. No, Listen, I went indoor skydiving and I was scared, so I can't imagine actually skydiving. <laughs> <laughs> I would do it, though. I want to do it. It's yeah. on my bucket list. Yeah. I yeah. want to do it. It's fun. It the is. whole time, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> Just open your eyes so you can experience the beauty. No, 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 no. <laughs> Every roller coaster picture I bought, my eyes are closed. No way. I can technically say I've done it. I've not seen it. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Why I buy the pictures for proof that I've done it? I can't describe it to you. <laughs> that works. Um, I think I'm gonna go with. Um, let's talk about you being a mom. So we are not mommies yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the book, you talk about the first time you experienced being pregnant. You were 16. Mm-hmm. And you say that you, your quote was, I would not bring another black child into a world of such oppression. Um, so you discussed maybe it was 17. When were you pregnant? Was it 16 or 17? It was 16, 17. So about 17, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so you chose not to have that baby. Your mom had a baby instead at that time. And then at 36, surprise, you have a baby. <laughs> um, and you said like experiencing the tragedy in your family and just the stories you've seen with this um, motherhood and love from watching your mom go through the things she went through. How has your, you becoming a mother changed your perspective about this sort of like a family curse is what you've described in your mm. book. Yeah, one, it helped me see that, you know, I didn't, at such a young age, I didn't have all the answers and understandings. Um, And I'm much more mature. I'm glad that since I did become a mom, I am glad that I waited until later because I just, I didn't feel like, you know, life was being stolen from me, that I was strapped without experiencing uh, some of the things that I wanted to experience because by then I had done great things, traveled, working on my career. Um, I, I wasn't poor in the way that my mom was struggling. Um, and I just, I, one, it helped me have more empathy for my mother, my grandmothers, um, in terms of just the physical act of carrying a child and birthing a child into the world. Um, and then two, I also began to understand that being a mom is so many different things. And it can look so different for, for different women, different families. Um, and I just started to embrace that. Um, it, it did bring me closer to my mom. You know, she was, they never thought that I was going to have a child. I, I was very adamant about it. <laughs> um, they were super excited when I made the announcement. Um, 
And she was, I remember her coming out and visiting. He was about seven days old. And I just remember that moment of her holding him, holding my child. And I just thought about her as a young mom with me and my, my siblings. Um, it was just such a tender uh, moment and, and a moment of compassion and unconditional love. They're very close, my son and my mom. He's close to my, my husband's mom as well. Uh, even though we're geographically far from my mom, she's in Florida now. He taught her how to download Google Duo. They're, you know, always face to face. And we try to make sure that we go see it, see her at least once a year, um, if not more. It's been a little, of course, harder now because they're in a pandemic. But yeah. I just love the, I, I love intergenerational relationships. Uh, as a kid, I loved my, you know, seniors, the elders. So I love that he at least has her, or both of his grandmothers. Uh, his grandfathers aren't in his life, unfortunately, but we try to find other people who aren't family, but who can step in and give him that role modeling. So motherhood for me now just means just a chance to, that our kids are their own people. Uh, and so I just feel privileged to guide in whatever way. I'm also learning a lot. Um, I try to, you know, experience the world with him, see the world through his eyes. I like kids don't mean that you can't travel, you know, you just have to make some adjustments. So we've traveled with him at different ages. Right. Um, so for me now, it's more of a, I embrace it as a rich, very enriching experience, as opposed to something that was going to keep me from living life. And that's the maturity. But again, not all women are supposed to have kids or want to have kids. And that too is absolutely fine. For me personally, it was part of my healing and growth journey and I'm, I'm glad I did it. <laughs> yeah. Roz and Alana, what fears, if any, do you all have with bringing a child into this world? Any hesitations? Do you have any? All the time. All the time. <laughs> all the time. I am one of those people who goes back and forth between I really want children and I'm not so sure and nope, not doing it. Um, I think right now I've kind of accepted that I do want to have children. Now it's a matter of how soon. <laughs> um, of course, there are things that need to be in place before the kids come along because you have a husband in it. But I, I'm now more assured that I do want to be a mother. Um, so my fears now are just like one childbirth <laughs> and then also having a child grow up in the state of the world we live in. Like that is terrifying to me. Especially since I know my children are going to be black. Um, and so that is a fear that I have. Um, just that's, that's, I don't even know how to explain it. It just is. Yeah. I'm just scared of how how their life may be. Like you said, they have their own lives. They're they're their own people. Mm -hmm. uh, but I I would want to protect them as much as I could, and I know that that's not always possible. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's so sad to hear, you know, that we as black mothers still have to have that fear in the two thousand twenties. Um, which is the same fear that our mothers and grandmothers and great grandmothers had. It's just, it's not fair. So that's heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 I thought about that this week. I had a moment with my mom. She blew my phone up and I just knew like someone's dead. Like I'm in the middle of zoom meetings, what's happening. And it was because she hadn't heard from me for two days. And she was just like, they kill black women in their sleep. Like oh. you have to text me or something. And it was just like, Oh my goodness. Because my first response was like, girl, I am working. What's happening? <laughs> like, is this an emergency? And she's like, you are the emergency. Oh. Um, and she's just, I find more and more starting to freak out. Like, I have always lived away from home since undergrad, but now more recently, it like is a trigger for her. Like, I need you to answer, text, something. Yeah. Um, like, she has called friends before and been like, have you heard from her? And I'm like, taking a nap. Like, I need you to relax, but she is just not able to oh anymore. Um, 
So I kind of, I start to think about that, that anxiety with bringing children into this world. But then I also think, and I always feel terrible saying this because I'm an educator, especially of little people. Mm. I want to be a mom, but I wish they were done already. Like I'm more excited to be a grandma. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the 18 years. Like I got to do all that. Like I wish they were here. And like I was already a mom already. <laughs> Uh, it just doesn't always sound fun. I don't know if it's the Gemini in me. Some days I'm, it's like a puppy, right? Like, oh, it's cute. And yeah. then you're like, dang, yeah. I got to walk the dog. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly how it feels that. to me. Like, that's a commitment. Like, y'all never leaving. I never get the house to myself anymore. <laughs> so, I don't know. I want children, but. The times that I say like, oh, I'll wait a few more years is like, I don't really want anyone in my space at all times right now. Mm-hmm. Can't even commit to a dog right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm also like, you need to get this over with because. <laughs> you want grandkids. <laughs> so that'll be my only solution. My thing is like, I need to have a partner for the days where I need a moment. I need to be able to say like, whew, dad, hold it down because. I actually need to just dip for a second. <laughs> Which I like time a lot. So Yeah, yeah. Important to know. And you know, what what you know, yeah. how are there other ways? You're already a teacher. You know, you're mothering and nurturing your students. Um and, and I love doing that. I'm not a teacher anymore because that was too much. Oh, okay. Like, okay. <laughs> I train the teachers and support oh, like the principals and the okay. principals now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm around them. I love being around them, but I love going home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> important. Important. <laughs> you, you, yeah. I literally stopped teaching because I had a moment where I talked to my mom, like I wouldn't become a mother and stay a teacher. Yeah. It's gotta be either or yeah. I can't go home to more kids yeah. after today. Yeah. I so we literally decided like you can stay in education, but you can't stay in a classroom. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I think that's what's beautiful that we as women have, you know, we take, we're able to take ownership. We're able to, you know, make decisions that don't follow the the narrative. We can change our minds if we want to or change it back. You know, of course, once they're here, kind of make a choice, but it's our prerogative. (laughs) No one has the right to judge that. Um, You can be as ambiguous as you want. And that's absolutely fine. Or ambivalent. Case I, I can adopt a nice 16 year old, let him go. <laughs> <laughs> so you want like some part of the, some part of the. I know, I do. I say that and then I'm like, I love when they're babies and I love other people's babies. Yeah. They probably, if they hear this recording, will be like, what? That's how she feels. But it's, <laughs> I truly really like me time. So. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any nieces or nephews? Because aunties are. So I do. Yeah, and I'm obsessed with them. Special, and we need to just give them their crowns. So that's yeah. an option. <laughs> I I have my nieces and nephews over. I have five nieces, five nieces and nephews. So there's oh, wow. three girls, two boys. The youngest girl is a baby, so I don't watch her. But I had the other four, and it was just like chaos in my house for three days, and I was just so exhausted. <laughs> and my mom is always like. But they'll be different when they're your own. And I'm like, they don't My mom home. says that too. It's worse when they're yours, I feel like. <laughs> they're like, home is here. Like, it'll be chaos all the time. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I can't. I, I, people, you know, I can't imagine. But I have friends who have three and four. And so we get what we can yeah. handle, I think. I wish I could. I in my ideal world, I'd have six, and I will have just raised them already. Wow! <laughs> I want the big. I crave that. I think because my family doesn't even live in the U.S., I crave that feeling of like family and yeah. people around. Mm-hmm. I just so for everyone to just six. already be adults, like just a big adult. If you go into college and let me be empty nesting with a husband somewhere and y'all come back and annoy us every now and then, I want that life <laughs> right now. That is hilarious. <laughs> Roz, what about you? I really love that. <laughs> what about you, Roz? Uh, so I sort of got 
lost with Renee what our first initial question was, but I do want want to be a mother. And I think uh, one of my fears is just because I'm in healthcare and knowing the uh, black mother mortality rate kind of scares me. And um, I, as I'm getting older too, I'm like, I know that risk gets higher. And then, you know, I try to keep myself healthy, um, which, you know, with family history, health things, and then being pregnant at an older age, that's another thing. So, you know, those are things that I just, again, I try to like, you know about it, read up on it, make sure you're taking yourself, care of yourself now. Cause if, since you know, you want this, you just have to prepare yourself for it. Like I'm not, I'm not going to let that be a factor of, of it being a no for me, unless God says that's just not in, uh, my calling. But um, I do desire to have kids and all that. And I'm looking forward to because, you know, as I grew up as an only child, but I do have siblings. I have a stepsister and then I have uh, older siblings uh, on my dad's side. So but I don't want like. It's like it's like if, if I do have kids, I want more than one. I don't want them to be the only one. I want them to have that experience of a sibling and um you know, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I annoy my mother. I was like, let's play something. Let's, let's do something. She's like, yeah. no, nah, not right now. Cause she was in education. So she dealt with kids. She was in elementary school. So she dealt with kids and then have to come home to parent. I was like, I was like, okay. I look back now. I was like, I know that could probably been tough. So, you know, I'll be upstairs playing Monopoly, doing puzzles. That's why right now I'm like, I'm old in spirit. Like I do crossword puzzles. They make fun of me. I take crossword puzzles on trips with me on vacation. <laughs> you know, I can sit at home, do some puzzles. <laughs> uh, but um, that's just me. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's something that I look forward to, like the traveling and, you know, being in the crowd at sporting events, uh, whether it's being in the audience at dance recitals. I was in band. So I'm looking forward to everything that I got to experience as a child to pour into somebody else and um like it's just I was like man I was like if I was like I had this good life I want to be able to give that to somebody else so in some way shape or form whether it's not from my offspring whether it's Lisa's nephew spoiling their kids that they have something some way somehow I just because I, I just feel very blessed to have lived the life that I had and experienced at a young age that helped develop me into the thought that I am now. And I just want to be able to share that with somebody else. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Awesome. Well, I had another question, but Alani, you have a question that's like aligned to what we're talking about now. You want to ask that? Yeah, so um, I'm just curious now. We've got a bit of glimpse into like uh, your marriage and motherhood and things, um, but I'm kind of just curious now. How has your family dynamic, like your own creative family, not the one that you were brought up through, how has that changed? How is it different from um, what you saw growing up? How is it similar? What kind of things have you taken? Um, in your own experience to to building your own family now. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think again, I there are things that I wish my son had that he doesn't. Um he doesn't he's grown up in this big city with no blood cousins. I had tons of cousins. And I talk about that in the book. How mm-hmm. part of this examination was about how to look at what I want to keep. Um, and what to discard. Um, and so I, I realized that I'm the bridge for him, that I carry within me all those memories, the foods. You know, we try to be healthy, but on holidays, you know, he loves the idea of Louisiana. He loves um, the accents. And when we do visit, he loves the food. And so the other day, he <laughs> we went to New York and... Um, there was a restaurant, a well-known restaurant, where he ordered the candied yams, and he was he was disappointed. So <laughs> we came back. He was on me the next day, like 
can you make some candy yams? And I'm like, I'm still recuperating. We haven't unpacked. I am not making candy yams right now. And while I was out <laughs> doing some errand, he decided, I was like, call your grandmother. You know, we don't measure. We're in the South. We don't measure anything. Um, I was like, but call your grandmother. Maybe she can talk you through it. He was so impatient. He couldn't do that. I think he looked online for something. And while I was out, he sent me a little short video of his candy yams boiling, <laughs> whatever they were doing, simmering. <laughs> I was like, what is that? <laughs> and I was a little afraid to taste them. But when I came home and he, the recipe called for like a, some squeezes of orange, orange. And I'm like, no, we don't put oranges in our. To the food network or something for that recipe. That's <laughs> grandmother or me but, but again like I said I was not up for all the peeling and the, but I just love that he appreciates it that he loves those those beautiful parts um, of, of the south and of, of my childhood uh, and our culture but you know I, I I love also that he's different other ways he's very outspoken he challenges us those the way he is, when I was growing up, would be have, would have been seen as you know talking back. Um, I love that we've created a culture in our you know present day home where he feels safe. Uh, he talks mm -hmm. nonstop. Uh, he tells us what he's thinking. He tells us when we're contradicting ourselves. When we make him feel bad because of our stress and we're projecting on him. He has that terminology. Um, and those were things that I felt as a kid, but dared not say, didn't understand. Uh, you know, there was a lot of pressures uh, in the home, a lot of, I think, depression um, and all of that got and rage that got projected onto us. Um, but there was no, you know, it wasn't a culture of, of therapy. Uh, yes, we had the church, but that was a spiritual journey as opposed to what I believe in should also be a personal journey of let's deal with our own mess. You can, I believe you can combine the two. Um, yes. God wants mm -hmm. us to be, you know, in spiritual relationship with him and each other, but also to work to where I think work on our own, the things that stop us um, from being happy, from being able to relate to each other. And of course, family secrets. I just, I don't want my son to, um, I don't want him to be knocked off his feet by a secret that could have, mm. I, I just don't think that, I think the shame is not warranted. I think that we need to be open about what's been, what's happened in the family, what's happened in our country, even things that we've done ourselves, because I think that's just much more freeing for our kids. So yeah, the good, the bad, the ugly, yeah. just keeping the lines of communication open. Um, he's so proud of the book. And, you know, he looks the stuff up on, on Google and he's super proud. And I just know that there's things that we're, we'll be able to talk about in his, he's 14 now, but, you know, things that we'll continue to talk about um, that I hope will help him create the same kind of open lines of communication with his kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, awesome because I believe like in previous books that we've read, we sort of shared like how we've grown up and what are things that we don't want to take into our parenthood. And I know we've talked about that, how like we're allowing a child to speak and express themselves. Whereas if we were to do that, it's like, who do you think you're talking to? I'm not one of your little friends. Like, Absolutely. So, and whereas now it's like, okay, you have to realize that Yes, these are children, you're growing them, but they are people and humans too, and they have opinions and mm -hmm. they can express themselves. And if it comes off in a quote unquote wrong way, that's when we are able to share with them. It's like, okay, I'm hearing you, but as in this instance, I'm still the adult and needs to be presented in a more respectful way. And then that's something that that's a discussion that can have. Whereas I feel like when well, from my perspective, there wasn't a lot of discussion. It was just being told to do stuff. And it's because I'm the adult and this is what I what I says goes. Mm -hmm. And so I think just hearing you say that and how and that it's possible to be done, like that's um that's something that, that would be definitely yeah. a shocker for me to try to implement because 
I mean, you, it's like sometimes you just try to be a ruler. It's like, okay, this is how it's going to be done. But you got to realize that you're dealing with a human as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, that's why I love that he was in therapy as well, because sometimes kids want to express themselves and they're even in a space where they can, but they don't know the words, right? Like we have to make sure that we remember that they're learning the language. Mm -hmm. It's their first language, but this is still a foreign language for them. And so even if we didn't have the means to overly express ourselves, usually we got in trouble because we said it with an attitude because we just didn't have the words to say, like, I feel anxious right now. Yeah. This happened and it triggered me or whatever the case may be. So I think I just think that's huge that he's been in therapy, has learned to express himself and be responsive to you all's feelings, too, and how that's impacted him, too, and have that self-awareness. Because mm -hmm. um, a lot of times our kids just they don't have it and then it bubbles over and now they're reacting and getting in trouble. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And to be, and to <laughs> answer Roz's, um, to respond to what you said about, you know, having the ability to do that, it's work. When you've grown up in a culture that says kids are to be seen and not heard and I'm right because I'm the adult, even sometimes when you're not right, I've had those moments of, you know, that rising up in me when he's, you know, challenging me or he's just resisting doing something that I'm, that I said do. And so we've definitely had those moments where it's like, wow, a struggle or I yell or, um, I just want him to get it done without, without all the, the words. And he told, like he told me the other day, I was under a huge deadlines at work, stuff with the book, um, and was really stressed out. And I gave him some instructions so something that I thought was simple and then he forgot and he forgets a lot and so I just ended up having a bad moment um and he said I just think that you're like you're yelling to to the point where I think that you're feeling bad in, in your own life and you're just trying to make me feel bad <laughs> and I was like oh my god that's so true <laughs> So later, and then at first I was like, just, I can't talk about it right now. But then later I went to his room, you know, hours later and apologized. And my husband and I both will apologize to him. And we talked it out. I was like, you're right. And this is what mom is going through like this, this, and this, this happened. There was these meetings. Uh, I'm tired. Um, and I just hope that you can do your part. Um, out like constant reminders but I you're you're right I definitely should not have yelled like that um, so it's it's work it's beautiful but it's it is work <laughs> I love that yeah I, it's really interesting for me my mom is a therapist and so growing up I had all of those like this is how things are done this is what you're gonna do because we're the adults blah 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 and my mom and dad are like completely opposite humans. I don't know how, <laughs> but, but my mom's a therapist. And so now I get to see her interacting with my nieces and nephews. And it's like, when we were kids, you would have never. Oh, wow. And things like, it's just really different how she's starting to unlearn the, the behaviors that were so detrimental to me and my brother mm -hmm. as kids mm -hmm. too. And so I'm like, I see her struggling through it and she's a therapist. So she knows. Like, and so, yeah. She's studied yeah. this. So that tells you yeah. how entrenched these exactly. norms are. The unlearning. Exactly. That's, that's, so, a, that's a great word. It's a lot of unlearning. Yeah. Yeah. Unlearning and relearning. Yeah. 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 It's just fascinating. So I have one last question for you, unless you ladies have another question that you want to ask. Are you good? So let's say you were able to have a conversation with Mr. Bridges himself. What would you ask and what would you want him to know about your family right now? Oh, oh my God, I would love to have that opportunity. Um, I would I want to know what his dreams were. Um, what his I know he had so much potential. I know that there must have been something so great shining and beautiful about him that he was such a threat um to these white people who who killed mm -hmm. 
Um, and so, you know, we, we hear that phrase that I love, we love it. It's on t-shirts and all that, how we're our ancestors' wildest dreams. Um, but when I think about him, yeah. I think about how they're our wildest dreams. Um, and so often, you know, the dream of them, their potential got cut off and stolen from them. So I would just love to sit down and hear him talk about what those dreams were, what he already had in the making. Um, and then I would love him to see how I tried to bring honor to to his name by creating this work. Um, and that we as a family, as individuals, are committed to our own dreams and our own goals and use, look at him as inspiration. Look at all of them as inspiration. I love that. I admire that resilience for sure. His death was not in vain. I feel like you all still learned a, t a ton from him. Yeah. And I'm sure you have even learning about his story and writing this yeah. book. And I appreciate you for sharing this story with the world because it's definitely been inspiring for, it sounds like all of us on here. Um, again, if you have not bought the book, please purchase that book and read it. It's truly life-changing for me. Um, we definitely can relate, especially as people of color trying to be in touch with our stories. We thank you for joining us. It was so wonderful having a conversation with you. This was so amazing. Thank you so much, <laughs> Renee, Alana, and Roz. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> for joining us. Um, we hope that you take a moment to read our next book. We're going to dive into Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. And again, if you have not listened to We Are Bridges, we have not done any spoilers. It is still a very engaging text to dive into. So feel free to check that out and we will see y'all next time. Peace. Peace.